I encourage you tonight to not grow weary nor grow cold to the things of the gospel or of Jesus Christ, but to remain focused on Him day in and day out, that He would be your priority, that He would be your focus. I want to tell you, I want to actually read to you something that I got emailed, pretty cool, about a group of people called Jews for Jesus. Uh-huh. Yeah, they don't mess around, okay? They're Jews for Jesus. Listen to this. Dear friends, shalom to you all. Thank you for all your prayers and for our Shefla, or Coastal Plain, campaign. This campaign they're doing in Israel, which is now over, this is the third of 12 campaigns in our Behold Your God Israel outreach. This is their third campaign, and they're going to do 12 total. Okay? He's, the person says, we praise God for enabling us to complete it. Here are the final results. Check this. Talk about people giving up time in their lives for the gospel. Listen to this. By God's grace, we were able to hand out over 33 1,500 gospel tracts. 33,500 gospel tracts. We spoke to over 3,900 people on the phone and offered them a free copy of the New Testament. (laughs) That's crazy. We knocked on more than 1,800 doors and talked to 632 people in their homes. Offering them a free book about Jesus. We got the contact information of 716 unsaved Jewish people who told us that they wanted to know more about Jesus. 14 Israelis prayed with us to receive the Lord during the campaign. 14 Jews came to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Woo! And seven prayed with us during the follow-up visits. So 21 people. 21 Jewish people and eight Gentiles came to faith in Jesus Jesus during this campaign. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for serving on this campaign with us. Your prayers were felt and they made a huge difference. We need more prayer. See prayer requests list below. And we know that we can count on you. I praise the Lord for each of you and for your heart to see the Messiahship of Jesus made an unavoidable issue in Israel today. Thank you for praying. Want to hear a story? Mir. This is a person's name. In the park, we spoke with two young adults, Yossi and Daniel, who were close at first, but then opened up. Yossi did most of the talking, but in the end, it was Daniel who was interested in receiving the New Testament. We also spoke with a pedestrian who accepted a gospel of John from us. I was phoning yesterday afternoon and no one was willing to speak with me for 52 calls. I phoned the last number and the man I spoke with already knew quite a bit about Yeshua and I was able to share the gospel with him. It's one story. They list tons of them here. And they list them in every email, just one after another after another, just about these little interactions where they get to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, they see the power in sharing the gospel. Did you know that? 
There's so much power in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where the power is at, family. You've got to recognize that. That we are on a mission to preach the gospel wherever we go, whatever we do. I was in Oregon this weekend. I don't know what happens when I go to Oregon, but when I get with these brothers who I spent, there's like 22 guys who went to Mexico with me and lived there, and a lot of them live in Oregon. And I lived in Mexico for four months ministering to orphans and receiving a lot from this pastor, and it was just a great time. But these guys are like my brothers forever now. I mean, we can't get away from one another. So I was up there in Oregon this weekend, and I couldn't help but just, we just lived it out everywhere we went. It's just like in public, it just seemed to be the thing. Um, There we were coming home with some pizza, and Eddie insisted on stopping and picking up the homeless guy and taking him to the house and giving him pizza. So it happened, and, uh, and I'm thinking, Eddie, you, why? Why are you doing that? Um, well, I wanted to have brother time. But hey, the homeless guy was there with us, and he ended up being a great guy. His name's Dwayne. And uh, man, he had got a divorce like three years ago with his wife, and times have been hard up there. There's no work. And uh, his wife left him and moved back to Alabama, and she took the kids, and he wasn't able to make the house payment anymore, and so he's on the street now. And he doesn't look, you know, that messed up. Um, he looks like he's ready to work and ready to do whatever it takes. And as I talked to him, that was the case. But I got to speak right into his life in a powerful way. We spoke into his life and prayed for him and encouraged him and fed him, gave him a New Testament and sent him on his way in the name of Jesus. He's 36 years old, no, 33 years old, and he just received it. It was awesome. Then, there we were on our way to, um, oh, my buddy Ben's house, and, uh, and as we were on our way over there, Shadow was standing in the parking lot. Yeah, Shadow. <clears throat> and uh, as Shadow was standing there, I look over at him. I didn't know his name was Shadow. But all of a sudden, he just looked real down and bummed out. Looked like a normal guy. He just was really upset about something. And so he said, hey, man, what's going on? Everything all right? And he's like, uh, no, it's not all right. I said, hey, we're Christians. Can we pray for you? So here's my group of guys. We walk. He's like, yeah. So we walk over. We lay hands on him there in the parking lot. We pray for him and encourage him in the name of Jesus, and off we go. The shadow stands there baffled. Someone would walk up to his garage and pray for him. And then that night later on, yeah, as we were at the restaurant, and the server was telling us that uh, she was divorced and she had five kids, and she's taking care of them all by herself. Um, I was, we were just broken. I said, brothers, we've got to pray for her, huh? It's like, yeah. And so, yep, when she brings the check... I say to her, Christina, we don't mean to embarrass you or anything, but we're Christians. And uh, we want to pray for you and your situation. Would that be okay? She's blown away. She couldn't believe it. She's a Christian. And so we pray for her and lift up her family, give her a fat tip in the name of Jesus Christ. And walk away at the end of the day saying, yes, thank you, Lord. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, We do all to the glory of God. Everything. And that's what those people, those Jews for Jesus are doing. It's really just, you know, it's opened my eyes once again to say I have got to be living that 24-7. All day, every day. Walking with Jesus. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. Are you ashamed? Are you scared? (sighs) I think I was 
Ah, uh, yes. When I was at the, uh, where was I at? Ah, on Saturday. I was in Macy's looking for a tie because I had to sing at this wedding up in Oregon. Forgot my tie, so I was looking at this tie. And this girl just strikes up a conversation, talking away, chatting away. There's nobody else in me. Up in Oregon, the malls are dead. There's like not a person around. And I'm, so I'm standing there, and I'm just like, we're talking. And all of a sudden, the Lord was just like, why don't you tell her about John Corson's church up the way? And I don't know why, but I didn't do it. I stood there as I walked away, and I felt the Lord, even as I was walking away, what are you doing? Why would you not invite her out? Why would you not? I mean, I told her I was from Southern California and all this, and I just had this, like, connection. Like, she was all interested in what was going down in SoCal and all this, and it's like prime opportunity to say, hey, I'm a Christian. Do you go to church? No, I don't. You need to. And just to be able to exhort her right over the counter. You see... We've got to take advantage of every opportunity. We can't let our coolness or our, uh, well, us get in the way. Whatever it is, just being ashamed, being scared for some reason. We've got to be bold as lions. Stand up. You don't see that much anymore, but I really like doing it. It feels great at the end, you know? It's like you look somebody in the face and say, I'm a Christian. Huh? I remember I was with my buddy Jose way back in the day, just probably two years ago. We're standing over by Desario's pizza shop, and uh, this guy walks up and tries to sell uh, cologne to us. And he's like, come on, man, it's for the ladies, yeah. And we're just like, and I'm, I'm just not saying anything, you know. And, and he's like, come on, man, don't you want to get some ladies? Come on, you guys smell good. You know, he's coming up, he's trying to like spray it on Jose. Jose's like, hey, I'm a Christian. I don't do that. The guy's just like, huh? <laughs> You're What? <laughs> I'm a Christian, man. Christians don't do that. It's like, dang, you know, it's like we need to stand up for what we believe. We need to be bold. You don't have to be ashamed. I like that. And I want to live that way the rest of my life. I want to be bold as a lion. Not scared to stand up anywhere, any place, any time and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if I'm in Subway or the airport or my own home. I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? I'm a Christian. I don't do that. Making a bold stand for Christ. You know what I'm talking about, family? You hear me? It's important that we change the way we live because the truth is Christians just aren't doing that bottom line. We've got a lot of work to do still here in this city. We're going to look at tonight possibly the repercussions of what could happen to a nation if they choose to rebel against God. Yep, some scary stuff. So we've got a lot to cover tonight, so we're going to jump right in. And Father, we say thank you. Jesus, we have not forgotten what you've done for us tonight, Lord. We know you laid down your life. For each and every one of us. You paid the penalty. So that we don't have to. And we are thankful for what you've given us. Help us to walk in your ways. Please Lord. Help us to love your commands. To walk in your truths. To live according to your word. As we open your word tonight. Please speak to us in a powerful way. Open our eyes to see all that you might have for every single one. 
Let us receive it. Let us see it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guess what book we are in tonight? We're out of Jeremiah, believe it or not. Yes. Yes, we finished. We were supposed to finish. If you didn't know, we're trying to read a chapter a day. Just one chapter a day. It's a piece of cake. You just read one chapter. Lamentations chapter 4. Tomorrow will be chapter 5. And um, we're in the book of Lamentations. You're like, what book is that? Lamb in what? Something about a lamb? No. Um, it's a book of sorrow. It's a book of distress. It's a book that would say something like a loud cry or complete disarray. It is the writings of kind of the aftermath of what has happened with the Jews going into slavery once again to the Babylonians. Going into slavery. Remember, what have we been talking about the last week after week, last few months within, with Jeremiah? We've been looking at this guy, remember, who's Jeremiah? A prophet, right? And how old was he when he was called? Come on. 30 years old, that's right. About 30, somewhere right in there. But they say he was a young man. Gives me hope. He's young. 30, it's young. He was called at a young age to do the unbelievable for God. To preach to a nation. How many of you, if God called you to preach to a nation, would say, sign me up. You've got to preach to this nation. You've got to preach things that no one's going to like. So that's what he did. How long did he preach for? Anybody remember? 42 years, 42 years he preached. And how many people turned to God after his preaching? Zero. Zero rub. Not even one. What was he preaching? Repent. If you do not repent, judgment will come upon you. You've got to repent. You've got to turn from your sin. Or judgment will come upon this nation. And I believe it is something, it is a word for us tonight, is it not? United States of America, repent or else. Judgment will come upon this nation. If we do not turn to God, then this nation will fall. Did you know that? Listen. Who is God telling to repent? His people. He told the Jews to repent, didn't he? Judgment starts where? In the house of the Lord, the Bible says. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Listen, if we do not repent, toward, if the house of God is not repented towards God, us here in His house, judgment will come upon. You've got to understand this. It lays in our laps. Do you know why things don't move forward in society for the good, it's because of us. Think about it. If we have the truth, we could dominate so quickly, couldn't we? We have the truth. We have the answer. We have the good. And we have God backing us. If we would just stand up, if Christians everywhere just stand up and say, I'm going to follow God with all of my heart, 
we would see radical change in this nation. Radical. There's so many people that claim to be Christians, huh? But how many do you know that actually live it? Huh. Isn't that sad? Not too many. Who really live it out. Who, hey, when they're walking down the street and they see a man in despair, they say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm going to pray for you. They witness to their server. They minister to their teacher. They're calling out to their family members. Many claim to be Christians, but few make the stand. Do you recognize that? If we do not make the stand, the nation will fall. It's plain and simple. Don't be surprised in 20 years when if Christians don't make a stand and then we fall. Don't be surprised. To say, yeah, remember Josh was preaching that back in the coffee shop 20 years ago. Right? It won't be a surprise to any of us. We've got to make a stand for what we believe. And if we don't, the nation will fall. Sad thing. But that's what's happened to God's people. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah preaches as loud as he possibly can to everyone and as many as he can. He tells them the truth. The truth isn't always easy, is it? To hear. The truth always hurts just at least a little bit. Sometimes it hurts a lot. Hey, if you had something in your teeth, you've been sitting there with it for 20 minutes and no one tells you, somebody's like, hey, got something in your teeth. Got something on your face. I remember one time my brother had ice cream behind his ear. Don't know how he did it, but Jacob Thompson, you did it. So when we were young, me and my brothers or my friends made fun of him. It was awesome. <laughs> Terrible, I know. That's what big brothers do. But when you have something on your face, hey, you hope somebody would tell you the truth, right? Yeah. What if you were a terrible singer? Would you want somebody to tell you? Or you just don't have rhythm when playing guitar. Would you want someone to tell you? You want the truth? The truth hurts? Huh. The truth hurts, but see, we must be a people that love truth. We love truth with all of our hearts. I really learned this and discovered this just a couple years back when I came back from Israel. As I asked my friend Christian to shoot me an email telling me all the things that he thinks are wrong with me. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it was scary. Guess what happened as I read his email? I'm like, that's not me. That's not not me. Christian, you are missing it, man. It's not me. I wanted to reject. No, I'm a great singer, man. I got rhythm. Don't you try to tell me I don't have rhythm. I don't have anything on my face. No, I don't. Nothing in my teeth. I would never walk around for 30 minutes with something in my teeth and not know it. Never. Oh, careful. The truth hurts, doesn't it? And people don't like the truth. You want to know why? Because your flesh loves to do what is wrong at all times. You have to fight against yourself. You don't have to teach yourself wrong. That's easy. You've got to teach yourself right. The only way to teach yourself right is to accept truth when it comes to you, when it hits you in the face. 
And this nation that, that Jeremiah is speaking to did not want to hear the truth. Remember, do you remember that chapter? I can't remember which one it was exactly. Where Jeremiah stands up and proclaims the truth exactly about what they are to do. And they say, Jeremiah, tell us anything. Tell us whatever the Lord wants us to do. We will listen and we will obey. And he says, this is what the Lord says to you. Do this, this, and this. And what did they do? They did not listen, even though they had made a choice and decision to listen to everything that came from God. Amazing. That sounds like a few that I know. That sounds like a uh, church close to home. The people chant as loud as they can. Tell us the truth. Tell us what we need to do in order to see revival in our day. Tell us we're ready. And you tell them and they walk out the doors and nothing happens. It's because we do not love truth. You've probably made many decisions in your life that you have failed at. Failure is okay. You're going to fail in life. But you must keep trying. You must move forward or else judgment will come. As I was telling Dwayne, the homeless guy that we gave pizza to, Dwayne, you know that hard times come with everybody in life? It rains on everybody. Did you know that? It's crazy. When I was up in Oregon, we were driving. The skies were clear just like that. All of a sudden, within five minutes, buckets had dumped from heaven and there were puddles huge lakes everywhere and me and my buddies are bombing through them with our rent-a-car it was awesome I couldn't believe it lightning struck like 200 yards from us like boom and the car felt it the impact it was incredible I was like does this happen all the time in Oregon they're like no never I'm like what this is crazy why did I say that Anyways, I was talking with Dwayne. <laughs> oh, yeah, it rains on the just and the unjust, right? Yeah, rains on everybody. Everybody goes through hard times. You know that? Everybody loses a house. Everybody loses their car. Everybody goes through financial problems. Everybody goes through family problems. Everybody, you, you will have problems in your life. Believe me, it's going to come. But I was telling Dwayne, Dwayne, do not create problems for yourself by walking contrary to the things of God. You see, if you walk contrary to the things of God, if you do not listen to the truth that he tells you and you walk in your own ways, you will create more problems for yourself. Do you know that? I don't want to listen to God. Okay. Problems will come to you. You will reap what you sow. Did you know that? Of all kinds, they come in all shapes and sizes, problems do. And you can create them for yourself anytime you want. Just disobey what God is telling you to do, and you'll have problems. This is what has happened to the nation, Judah. They've rebelled against the things that Jeremiah had told them to do, that he preached for 42 years. They did not listen, and guess what happened? Judgment comes upon them. And Jeremiah writes, well, they think it's Jeremiah who wrote this. Basically, we don't know who the author is, but most scholars the majority of all scholars would say that it is him. Just a little background on it. Ancient Jewish and Christian tradition ascribed the writing of Lamentations to Jeremiah. And um, one of the strongest arguments for Jeremiah's authorship is that Jeremiah was an eyewitness to the divine destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. 
What better author than the prophet who vividly described the events in his own book? Whoever the author was, they were personal eyewitnesses of the destruction of Jerusalem at the temp- and the temple. Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. Yeah. It was all brought. Jeremiah had spoke about it. Please repent. 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 They don't repent. Destruction comes. And so the structure of the book is rather unique and does not show its beautiful form when it's actually translated into English. It's actually supposed to be a very beautiful book, poetic. When you translate it into English, it kind of ruins the whole thing. It's, it's written in Hebrew. Each chapter is an acrostic. Did you know that? Check this. An acrostic, which means that each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Yeah. Each chapter, each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet all the way down. So if it was English alphabet, it would be A, B, C, D, E. Each verse, verse 1, A, verse 2, B, verse 3, C. And it would go all the way down. That's how this book is written, poet in a poetry form. The form of literature is also common in other Old Testament writers. The Psalms writes this way as well in certain passages. But this is the only book in the Bible that is entirely written in the form of a lament. It is a form that is also common with extra-biblical writings of the time, especially in Sumeria. The book has a universal liturgical history. Orthodox Jews have the custom of reading it on the ninth day of Ab. They read it at their uh, festivals and they read it at their uh, a time in July and August. When they get together in the synagogue, they read Lamentations to help them to remember about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. To refresh their minds, do not turn away from the Lord your God or destruction will come. Something that we need, huh? Something that we should have been reading to our children the past 20 years before they completely rebelled against God and destroyed the nation. We need to be teaching these things to our children one day. The contents of this book. Because of Judah's sin, God has left his dwelling place in the temple and has allowed the sanctuary to be destroyed. The laments are over Judah's sin and not the Lord's righteousness. This is one thing we must distinguish before diving in. All that is being said is not against the Lord, like as if he's doing something wrong. Sometimes when you read it in English, you'll see it almost sounds like the writer is complaining to God. And he might be in a few parts, saying like, God, how could you allow this to happen? But the whole reason this is going down is because the Jews rebelled against their father. The book is a solemn, mournful cry for the people of God to repent. The cool thing about this book is it shows two big points. Number one, the judgment of God. And number two, the compassion of God. Isn't that great? Even though God is a just, righteous, perfect God and He will bring justice as a perfect judge would, um, He is a compassionate God. And He really listens to the cries of His people. Is that not the picture of the Bible? You see the people rebel against God. He judges them. And then what, and then what do they do? They cry out to God. Save us! He's compassionate to them, and he delivers them. Amazing. Time after time after time. Okay, now, 
the question as we're about to jump in is, do you want me to read through the King James? You want me, I brought the New Living Translation to make it a little bit easier to understand. What do you want to hear? You want to hear the New Living? Oh, you want, I'm talking King James. Okay, I read from the King James. Remember, this is, yeah, the thick stuff. It's, okay, we'll read through the New Living because I'm going to do a lot of reading. Okay? So open your Bible, Lamentations chapter 1. We are going to do the unbelievable tonight. You better strap on your seatbelt. The unbelievable. Get ready. Okay? Again, Lamentations. You know what? I should probably explain the actual... uh, Yes, the Hebrew title of this book, okay? The Hebrew title of this book is the word Echa. It means how, with an exclamation mark. How? Not like an Indian, how? No. It is how. It is a big how. Almost like, how could this even happen? How could this go down? It is a man crying out, blown away, can't even believe what has happened to his city. It's like this. If I was preaching to Riverside day and night for 42 years telling the people to repent or judgment will come upon this place, they do not repent and all of a sudden we walk up one day and we see even Sip's coffee shop completely de- destroyed. Yep. What is that? Albertsons right there. Completely destroyed. Everything abandoned. All the cars messed up. An army has come in. Maybe Iran comes in. Or maybe that North Korea comes in and wipes out this place, takes over. And here is one or two people crying out like, I can't believe what has happened. How? How could this happen? That is the cry of this book. That is what is being said over and over and over again. If you notice there in the first verse, the word is what? How? That's how many of the, the books are described or labeled, or titled in the Hebrew version of the Bible, of the Old Testament. It starts with the first word. That's how they title the Bible, the book. The word is how. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. New Living Translation, get ready. Jerusalem streets, once bustling with people, are now silent Like a widow broken with grief, she sits alone in her mourning. Once the queen of nations, she is now a slave. Isn't this a great picture? Once Riverside, moving with people over at the plaza. But now it sits as if a widow, as if a woman who has just lost her husband. She sits there alone with no one. She sobs through the night. Tears stream down her cheeks. Among, her lo- among all her lovers, there is not one left to help her. All her friends have betrayed her. They are now her enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, afflicted and enslaved. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down, and she has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning, no longer filled with crowds on their way to celebrate the temple festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying how 
Bitterly, Jerusalem weeps. Everyone is in pain and agony. The city has been destroyed. Her oppressors have come, become her masters, and her enemies prosper. For the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away to distant lands. All the beauty and majesty of Jerusalem are gone. Her princes are like starving deer searching for pasture, too weak to run from the pursuing enemies. Isn't this crazy? Can you see this? An enemy came in storming and taking over. Taking over everything. War is not a fun thing. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if there's some in here who want to go into the army or want to go in the Marine Corps. It is not a fun thing. To walk in and to destroy families, to walk in and cut down a nation... Can you imagine us fighting with guns here within our own country? Can you imagine someone coming into your door and kicking the door down? Trying to kill all of your family? Captivity is not an easy thing. Can you imagine being taken into slavery over to North Korea? Or to Iran or some crazy state, country? This is what is happening to the people. Why? Because of their sins. Look at verse 7. And now in the midst of her sadness and wandering, Jerusalem remembers her ancient splendor. But then she fell to her enemy, and there was no one to help her. Her enemy struck her down and laughed as she fell. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All who once honored her now despise her. For they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated. All she can do is groan and hide her face. She defiled herself with immorality, with no thought of the punishment that would follow. Now she lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Hold on, right there. Did you see that? Jerusalem has sinned greatly and has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All who once honored her now despise her, for they have seen her be stripped naked and humiliated. All she can do is groan and hide in her face. She defiled herself with immorality. This is a picture of what happens when people defile themselves with immorality of any type. It's the truth. It's the honest truth. When you rebel against what God desires and what He has put down His commands, listen, you will ruin your life. I guarantee it. If you look at those who practice immorality, who walk in the ways that are contrary to the word of God, let's take the greatest of the great. They always end in great destruction for some reason. Those who chase the things of the flesh, those who chase sin with all of their heart, they end up messing themselves up big time. Hey, let's look at the guy who loves to drink. He becomes an alcoholic and beats his kids one day and his wife. That is the saddest thing. He comes to his logical end when he takes it to the extreme. He gets angry a lot easier when he's drunk. Or the girl, when she gets drunk, gets taken advantage of more than she would if she was not. She allows things to happen that she wished would never happen when she wakes up the next morning. 
finds herself in situation and is shamed, hiding her face. It's the saddest thing. That is why God has not placed rules and regulations for life to take away fun nor destroy happiness, but actually given them to create happiness and to give fun in life. It says clearly here that the one, the one who defiles themselves, destroys themselves. Now she lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Isn't that sad? I can see the parent who warns the child time and time again, don't do that, don't do that, please don't go there, please don't do that. And the kid ends up a heroin addict five years on the street. Yeah, I know someone. Their names are Josh and Jamie. We tried hard to help them and pull them off the streets. They got off the streets, but guess what? They ran back to heroin again. It's sad. And they are now on the streets here. You'll see them on Van Buren. You'll see them at Tyler, and you'll see them in Madison. Do you think their parents ever wished that upon them? Don't listen to the Bible. It's going to put all these rules and regulations on your life and snatch all the fun away from your life. It's wrong. God has made life. God has made fun. God has made happy. His way is the most fun. His way is life. His way is happy. Bottom line, you throw God out of the Bible and walk according to the ways of God, you're going to be blessed. Bottom line, you throw God in, forget about it. Expect great things in your life. She defiled herself with immorality with no thought of the punishment that would follow. Now she lives in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Verse 9, Lord, see my deep misery, she cries. The enemy has triumphed. The enemy has plundered her completely, taking everything precious that she owns. She has seen foreigners violate her sacred temple, the place the Lord had forbidden them to enter. Her people groan as they search for bread. They have sold their treasures for food to stay alive. Oh, Lord, look, she mourns. And see how I am despised. The people are even starving of Jerusalem. They don't have food. It is nothing to you, all you who pass by. Look around and see if there is any suffering like mine, which the Lord brought on me in the day of this fierce anger. He sent fire from heaven that burns in my bones. He has placed a trap in my path and turned me back. He has made me desolate, racked with sickness all day long. He wove my sins into ropes to hitch me to the yoke of captivity. The Lord sapped my strength and gave me to my enemies. I am helpless in their hands. The Lord has treated my mighty men with contempt. And his command, a great army, has come to crush my young warriors. The Lord has trampled his beloved city as grapes are trampled in the winepress. For all these things I weep, tears flow down my cheeks. No one is here to comfort me. Anyone who might encourage me are far away. My children have no future, for the enemy has conquered us. You see this? And even saying that God has done this, has he? Yes, ultimately. But who has brought it upon themselves? Hey, when you look God in the face, when you stand before him one day, will you say, you were the one because you are sovereign. You were the one who made me do all this. Oh, no. Oh, no. Every man will be held accountable for what he has done. He will be held responsible. And so the same is true here, is it not? Jeremiah said for 42 years, repent 
or great captivity is going to come upon you. Destruction will come. Judgment will come. And they try to hold God responsible for this. No, it is them who is responsible. And it is the classic illustration of, yes, the parent who tells their child not to do something. They do it. They reap the consequences and try to blame their parents. It's ridiculous. Jerusalem pleads, verse 17, for help, but no one comforts her. Regarding his people, the Lord has said, let their neighbors be their enemies. Let them be thrown away like filthy rags. And the Lord is right, she groans, for I rebelled against him. Here is the right. Listen, people everywhere, look upon my anguish and despair, for my sons and daughters have been taken captive to distant lands. I begged my allies for help, but they betrayed me. My priests and leaders starved to death in the city as they have searched for food to save their lives. Lord, see my anguish. My heart is broken and my soul despairs, for I have rebelled against you in the streets. The sword kills, and at home there is only death. Others heard my groan, but no one turned to comfort me. When my enemies heard of my troubles, they were happy to see what you had done. Oh, bring the day you promise, or oh, bring the day that you promise, when you will destroy them as you have destroyed me. Look at their evil deeds, Lord. Punish them as you have punished me for all my sins. My groans are many, and my heart is faint. Do you see? Can you see the picture? Are you starting to get it of what's happening here? Yeah, Jeremiah writing. In despair, the city is broken down. People are starving to death. They're in captivity. They're slaves. The place is desolate because they did not obey the word of the Lord. Can you imagine that here in America? You've seen those movies that show this place just like a wasteland. You'd say, oh Lord, please never. You know what the answer to that is? Repent. Turn unto your God and seek him with all of your heart. For you will be held accountable if the nation falls. It will be us. Because we did not listen to the word of the Lord. We've got to repent to God daily. You've got to get things right. You've got to listen to the truth and walk in it. Listen to the Lord's anger at sin in Lamentations chapter 2. Turn there. The Lord in his anger has cast a dark shadow over Jerusalem. The fairest of Israel's cities lie in the dust, throw down, thrown down from the highest heights of heaven. In his day of awesome fury, the Lord has shown no mercy even to his temple. Without mercy, the Lord has destroyed every home in Israel. In his anger, he has broken down the fortress walls of Jerusalem. He has brought to dust the, ki- the kingdom of all its rulers. All the strength of Israel vanishes beneath its fury. The Lord has withdrawn his protection as the enemy attacks. He consumes the whole land of Israel like a raging fire. He bends his bow against his people as though they were their enemy. His strength is used against them to kill their finest youth. His fury is poured out like fire upon beautiful Jerusalem. Yes, the Lord has vanquished Israel like an enemy. He has destroyed her forts and palaces. He has brought unending sorrow and tears to Jerusalem. He has broken down his temple as though it were merely a garden shelter. The Lord has blotted out all the memory of the holy festivals and Sabbath days. Kings and priests fall together before his anger. 
The Lord has rejected his own altar. He despises his own sanctuary. He has given Jerusalem palaces to their enemies. They shout in the Lord's temple as though it were a day of celebration. The Lord was determined to destroy the walls of Jerusalem. He made careful plans for their destruction. Then he went ahead and did it. Therefore, the ramparts and walls have fallen down before him. Jerusalem's gates have sunk into the ground. All their locks and bars are destroyed, for he has smashed them. Her kings and princes have been exiled to distant lands. The law is no more. Her prophets receive no more visions from the Lord. Do you see this? God has struck this nation. God has struck this nation. Do you see what power the Almighty has? A lot of people think like, God would never do that. God's a God of love. Yes, He is an absolute God of love. But what does love mean? If you love your child, will you discipline them? Absolutely. And God will discipline His children when they disobey. If God did not discipline his children, if he did not set a standard, and if they break the standard, he must discipline. He must come and have corrected surgery. Should he not? But man, Josh, this is so terrible. Look what the Lord is doing. Look at how far he's going. What does it take to wake up a nation? That's the question. A miracle? Definitely some kind of miracle. Sometimes it takes a 9-11, doesn't it? That sure did wake up our nation real fast, huh? What does it take to wake up this nation? What does it take to wake up Christians? When will you wake up? When will you be attentive to the things of God? Do we understand here in this room that God hates sin with all of his heart? God hates sin. Do you understand that God disciplines and chastens those that he loves? Does he love you? Yes. Will he discipline you? Yes. Absolutely. We must repent and turn to our God, the Christian church, first, That's where we need salvation. Do you know there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of people who claim to be Christians who are not? Yep. Do you know that they will go to hell when they die? Yes. Jesus said, many will call me Lord, yet will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 7, it's clear. There are many. This passage is to show us clearly that God is dead serious about sin. He will not waver on what he says. You may. Like maybe you tell your kid, you ever see the mom do this? In the grocery store? You better get over here right now or I'm going to spank you. One... I'm going to count to three, two, 
two and a half, two and three quarters. Oh, j- just get over here. Whatever happened to one, two, three? You're done. You did not listen. You were disobedient. And now you'll be spanked for it. Or you're getting something taken away at home. God does not mess around. He is a perfect judge. When he says he's going to do something, he is going to do it. When he declares that he hates sin and tells his people to repent to him and he wants to bless them and take care of them, and they say, no, we're going to do our own thing. He says, if you don't, judgment will come. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming upon the people. Look at verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 10. The leaders of Jerusalem sit on the ground in silence, clothed in sackcloth. They throw dust on their heads in sorrow and despair. The young women of Jerusalem hang their heads in shame. I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit poured out as I see what has happened to my people. Little children and tiny babies are fainting and dying in the streets. They say, Mama, we want food. They cry and then collapse in their mother's arms. Their lives ebb away like the life of a warrior wounded in battle. And in all the world has there ever been such sorrow, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what can I compare your anguish? O virgin daughter of Zion, how can I comfort you? For your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets had said so many foolish things, false to the core. They did not try to hold you back from exile by pointing out your sins. Instead, they painted false pictures, filling you with false hope. This is huge. You know, this is happening in the church today. Family, stay with me, please. You know, this is happening in the church today. Listen to this verse again. Your prophets, your pastors, have said so many foolish things false to the core. They did not try to hold you back from exile, pointing out your sins. Instead, they painted false pictures, filling you with false hope. You know what's happening? Come to Jesus, you're going to be rich. No, you're not. Come to Jesus and he's going to take care of everything for your life. Nope. Where's that in the Bible? People are, pastors are scared to preach and talk about sin. Want to know why? Because they think they're going to lose people. But you know what happens when you do not talk about sin? And all you do is talk about prosperity and the good things that are going to happen to you? Hey, people get all fired up and excited, but guess what? What if it's not the truth? What if I told you, you're going to have a big house. You're going to have a nice car. You're never going to have cancer. And I give you false hope. What happens when you're 80 years old and you never got that house, you never got that car, and you have cancer and you're about to die? You think God has forsaken you, huh? They've given you false hope. You know what the truth is? You know what the church needs to hear? That you have sinned against God. And if you do not repent, you will destroy yourself. And you will regret everything in your life. Hey, the message isn't always easy to give, is it? I always got to give the hard message. I love giving the happy message. I really do. But I've noticed in my life that God always gives me the hard message. 
I just got to lay the smack down on the people sometimes and just let them know the truth. I was in Oregon this weekend. You know what John Corson did? He blew that pulpit up, man. I couldn't believe it. John is so gracious and loving. You know what he did? He said, fathers, I got to have a talk with you. And he calls them all out. He calls out all the men in the crowd. He says, you little boys who play video games until you're 30 years old, you still live with your mother. You don't have a job. You're not looking for future. You don't know the word of God. You don't teach it to your family. You're not even ready to raise a family. He laid the smack down so heavy on the congregation. I couldn't believe it. He called out every man who he does not stand up in a room when women walk in. He called out every man who does not open a door. I mean, he called it out. And I was so happy in that moment that I was not a dad. <laughs> I still got some hope. <laughs> I got to get busy, man. He was talking about responsibility. And men, that is to be our sole purpose. You know what the you know what we are called to do. You know what we every single one. You know what the curse is upon men. The woman was what childbearing. You know, in pain and all that. What was the man? He is to work by the sweat of his brow. That sounds like you should sweat or something. Doesn't it? Like sweat of his brow. I have so many guys that they don't even know how to work. They've never pulled a weed in their life. Brothers, let it not be so. Let me not preach false hope to you, telling you that you're a godly man, yet you're not responsible. Absolutely not. I can't do it. And I was so blessed and proud of my pastor to see him go that far and do that. Man, that was exciting. And man, it was incredible. I would encourage you to go online. You go to johncorson.com. You can listen to last Sunday's message. If you want to get jacked up, go take a listen. But verse 15, no, verse 14, you prophets have said so many foolish things, false to the core. You did not try to hold back your people from exile by pointing out their sins. Instead, you painted false pictures, filling them with false hope. Verse 15, all who pass by jeer at you. They scoff and insult Jerusalem saying, is this the city called most beautiful in all the world and joy of all the earth? All your enemies deride you. They scoffed and grind their teeth and say, we have destroyed her at last. Long have we awaited this day and it is finally here. That's sad. You know what's sad is when a pastor falls. You know what I'm talking about? Leadership. When you're in leadership and you fall in front of the people, say a pastor, a single pastor gets a girl pregnant or a pastor cheats on his wife, falls in front of the people. You know what the, the world does? They all laugh and mock. Aha, you loser. You can't even hold, you hypocrite. They laugh and they mock. That's what they're doing. Oh, isn't this beautiful Jerusalem? Isn't this the place where everybody loved to come to? And now look what has happened. It's nothing. The enemies scoff and grit their teeth. 
But it is the Lord who did it just as he warned. Verse 17, he has fulfilled the promise of disaster he made long ago. He has destroyed Jerusalem without mercy and caused for her enemy and caused her enemies to rejoice over her and boast of their power. Cry aloud before the Lord, O walls of Jerusalem. Let your tears flow like a river. Give yourself no more rest from weeping day and night. Rise during the night and cry out. Pour out your hearts like water to the Lord. Lift up your hands to Him in prayer. Plead for your children as they faint with hunger in the streets. O Lord, think about this, Jerusalem cries. You are doing this to your own people. Should mothers eat their own children? Those they once bounced on their knees, should priests and prophets die with their Lord's temple? See them lying in the streets, young and old, boys and girls, killed by the swords of enemies. You have killed them in your anger, slaughtering them without mercy. You have invited terrors from all around, as though you were calling them to a day of feasting. In the day of the Lord's anger, no one has escaped or survived. The enemy has killed all the children I bore and raised. Chapter 3, are you there? But check it out. There is hope in the Lord's faithfulness. Did you know that? Even when you mess up, did you know that there is hope? Even if you screw up and you ruin it, did you know that there's hope? Isn't that great? You mess up in life, but God says, I'll turn things around. I'm so blessed at that. I've messed up so many times in life, and God has used it for his glory. I'm so happy. There is hope, and there is always hope. There is always hope for you, no matter what, till the day you think you messed up too big. Nope, there is hope for you. Two weekends ago, the Prince of the Mafia came to Harvest Christian Fellowship. He was the Prince of the Mafia. He was like this big dog, basically the Al Capone of our time. And he was making hundreds of millions of dollars. He was making like five to six million a week. Per week. I can't even remember how many people he had under him, but he was just ridiculous. Probably in many works of killing people. Probably in many works of messing up families, destroying businesses, doing all kinds of stuff, stealing from people. And uh, he was a part of this, and guess what? He served a 10-year sentence in prison, but right before that he met some girl who was a Christian started speaking into his life and gave him books to read when he was in prison. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. Now he tours around the world telling his story about how God delivered him from all that and set him free. He only had to serve 10 years for all that. It's like that man should be in prison for life. I wonder how that worked out and how that happened. But he is doing so much good now. It is incredible. God has brought hope. And you may think that you messed up. And you may think there is no hope for your life. You need to hear tonight there is. God has a plan for you. He wants to do great things in your life. You trust Him. You need to cry out to Him. Did you hear those verses? Cry out to the Lord. There's no hope for me. I messed up so big. Nope. There's hope for you. You have not messed up big enough. You can't. God will deliver His people when they cry out to Him. That's what you must do. You must get on your knees and cry out. As much as I hate being in distress, I kind of love it sometimes. As even this weekend, something great has come upon my shoulders, which I've never experienced. And that shape, I've never seen, wants to stress me out, 
but it gives me the opportunity to cry out to God. To cry out. And I receive peace. There is hope in the Lord's faithfulness. Verse 1. I am the one who has seen the afflictions that has come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has brought me into deep darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned against me. Day and night, his hand is heavy upon me. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has attacked me and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in dark place like a person long dead. He has walled me in. I cannot escape. He has bound me in in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayers. He has blocked my path with a high stone wall. He has twisted the rod before me with many detours. It's interesting, huh? He shuts out my prayers. Do you know that there's a time when God will actually shut out a man's prayer? Yeah, it says there in the New Testament, if a man is not ministering and being faithful and loving his wife, God will not hear his prayers. Did you know that? Yep. Brothers, you better beware. I like the way John put it when he was talking about how men should treat a woman. He said he should treat them as if they are the most precious goblet or cup with jewels and diamonds all around. You would never drop that. You would put it on the shelf and it would be in all display for every to see and it would be your most treasured possession. And nothing, nothing, you would let no one touch it. You would exalt it. You would brag about it. You would talk about it every time people walked in. He exalted this thing. I like this phrase. Jesus is my, queen, my king and she is my queen. That's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus is your king. You bow the knee to him and she is your queen. You bow the knee to her. You minister. That's the way it's supposed to be. He will not listen to a man's prayer if he does not treat her in that way. He has blocked out my path with a high stone wall. Look at verse 10. He hide like a bear or lion waiting to attack me. He dragged me off the path and tore me with his claws, leaving me healthless and desolate. He bent his bow and aimed it squarely at me. He shot his arrow deep into my heart. My own people laughed at me. All day long they sing their mocking songs. He has filled me with bitterness. He has given me a cup of deep sorrow to drink. He has made me grind my teeth on the gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Hold on. Sounds like Job, huh? Remember Job, everything taken away from him? So bummed. What if everything was taken from you? All of your family killed. Your house taken away. Your car taken away. No money in the bank. Your job taken away. You have nothing. You're sitting there. Even your own health taken from you. And you're sick laying there in the hospital bed. What would you think? What would your reaction be? Oh God, how could you allow this to happen to me? But, listen to this. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. 
By his mercies we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every day. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. Did you hear that? The Lord is good to who? He's good to those who wait for him and seek him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Wow, that stirs my soul. Hey, listen, family. When distress is breaking out in your life, you know what you need to do? You need to go and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Oh, man, I like that. One of my buddies came up to me today and he's like, Josh, what do you do, man, when stresses are breaking out in your life and you just don't even know what to do? It kind of feels like all this pressure everywhere building up all around you. What do you do? This is what I do. It's the same thing. I do it every single time. I go off by myself where there is no distraction, not my house. I go away from there. I go away from my work. I go away from the people from the church. I go away from everything. And I sit with God by myself. I like going up on a rock. I like going to the beach. I love going down to the beach. I've been able to do this a couple times. Not many know about it. To go down and to spend the night down there on the beach. There's a place, a secret place, that only surfers know about. (laughs) And there, no one will come. No one comes on the beach but surfers. It takes 30 minutes to walk to the spot. When you get to that spot, there's this big log there, huge, huge tree that's fallen over. I don't even know how it got out there. But there is a pit where a lot of people will just sleep out there. And I like making a little fire and just staying there by myself and ministering unto the Lord. Going out there with a guitar and just worshiping God. Getting away from everything. Quietly waiting for the salvation of the Lord. You got to do it. Go get away from the cell phone. Get away from the busy life. My buddy Christian goes up into the mountains. He'll take his tent with him and he'll spend a weekend there by himself with a tent. Now, ladies, I don't know how to advise you on these kind of things. There's got to be a solitary place for you to go. There's got to be a place that you can get away to that isn't dangerous and uh, could really... I could really regret saying these words. That's what I'm saying. It's like I was out by myself. You know, this guy came up and tried to, you know, it's like, please, Father, do not, please. So please be wise. But maybe you can take a walk around your neighborhood, you know. Get away from things. Get away from your, your, your life. Hey, my, one of my buddies goes into his backyard. He's got a big backyard and he just goes and sits on this rock. Talks to the Lord there in his backyard. It's his place. Get quiet be, be, quietly before the Lord and what? Wait for his salvation. That's what I told my friend. I sit there and wait for God to speak to me and minister to me. I talk to him. I just lay it all out. Father, this is what's going on. You know what? What do I do? I talk to him just like that. <laughs> Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do about this. This is troubling me. I'm so messed up inside. Look at me. Please help me, Lord. Then all of a sudden, a song will come to my heart, and I'll sing unto him. 
Then I pray some more, and then I open the word and let the word speak to me, and then I pray some more. I just sit in silence sometimes and just listen to nature, let it heal my soul. Sit quietly before the Lord and let salvation become yours. Verse 27, it is good for the young to submit to the yoke of his discipline. Let him sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demand. Let them lie face down in the dust. Then at the last there is hope for them. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them. Wow. Let them accept the insults of the enemies. Wow. For the Lord does not abandon anyone forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion according to the great greatness of his faithful love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. Did you hear that? God does not enjoy hurting them or causing them sorrow. What does your translation say? Casey, what, do you, what, what translation do you have? What does it say? The Lord will not cast off forever. Wait a minute. Ah, verse 33, yes. Yes. He does not afflict willingly. He doesn't want to hurt people or cause them sorrow. But check this, 34. The leaders of his people trampled prisoners underfoot. They derived people of their God-given rights in defense of the Most High. They perverted justice in the courts. Do they think the Lord didn't see? Do you hear this? Is this not almost prophetically speaking into our time? The judges and the court system being polluted. It says, verse 36, they perverted the justice in the courts. Do they think the Lord doesn't see this? Can anything happen without the Lord's permission? Is it not the Most High who helps one and harms another? Then why should we, mere humans, complain when we are punished for our sins? It's true. Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven us. You hear that? Wouldn't that be great to see the church as a whole? Maybe we see like, 10,000 people, 100,000 people lift their hands in unison and from the depths of their heart cry out and say, we have sinned and rebelled against you and you have not forgiven us. Please forgive us. Verse 43, you have engulfed us with your anger, chased us down and slaughtered us with your mercy. You have hidden your face in a cloud so our prayers cannot reach you. You have discarded us as refuge and garbage among the nations. All our enemies have spoken out against us. We are filled with fear. We are, tramp. we are trapped, desolate, and ruined. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because of the destruction of my people. My tears flow down endlessly. They will not stop until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. My heart is breaking over the fate of all the women of Jerusalem. My enemies, whom I have never harmed, chased me like a bird. They threw me into the pit and dropped stones on me. The water flowed above my head and I cried out, this is the end. But I called on your name, Lord, from the deep within the well and you heard me. You listened to my pleading. You heard my weeping. Yes, you came to my despairing cry and told me, do not fear. 
Lord, you are my lawyer. Plead my cause, for you have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong they have done to me. Lord, be my judge and provide me, prove me right. You have seen the plots my enemies have laid against me. Lord, you have heard the vile names they called me. You know about all the plans they have made. The plots my enemies whisper and mutter against me all day long. Look at them in their activities. They constantly mock me with their songs. Pay them back, Lord, for they are for all the evil they have done. Give them hard and stubborn hearts and then let your curse fall upon them. Chase them down in your anger. Destroy them from beneath the Lord's heavens. Isn't that powerful that God always brings an opportunity for repentance and restoration? Listen, family, if you ever walk away from the Lord, please turn back. Listen, this is important. Remember these words. Do you know that there are brothers that I know who were walking with the Lord and now are not walking with God? I mean really walking with God and are not walking with God now. Do you know that? You've got to remember to repent and turn back to God. There is hope for you. And God has greater things for you. You've got to remember there's hope. Chapter 4, verse 1. God's anger is satisfied. How the gold, verse 1, lost its luster. Even the finest gold has become dull. The sacred gemstones lie sacred in the streets. See how the precious children of Jerusalem, worth their weight in gold, now are treated like pots of clay. Isn't that sad? Stay with me, please. We're almost done. These last two chapters are so small. Please, listen to this. Do you know what happens when you run from God? When you're in God's kingdom and you're walking with Him, you are treated like a gem, like gold. But when you rebel against the Lord, you know what the world treats you like? Like you're some clay pot. You're no big deal. There's thousands of them. No big deal. Don't walk away from Father. Verse 3, even the jackals feed their young, but not my people, Israel. They ignore their children's cries like the ostrich of the desert. The parched, this is sad, the parched tongues of the little ones stick with thirst to the roof of their mouth. The children cry for bread, but no one has any to give them. The people who once ate the richest foods now beg in the streets for anything they can get. Those who once lived in palaces now search the garbage for pits, garbage pits for food. That's sad. What does that remind you of? Remember the prodigal son? He was on all the riches. He was there with his father, taken care of. He was the best in his house. But what did he do? He went off into the world. And do you remember? He ate the pig slop because he didn't have anything else to eat. He was eating in the garbage pits. Listen to me. Playing in the world is like playing in mud. And God's saying to you, I want to take you on a trip around the world. And you're like, no, mud is fun. I like mud. It's ridiculous. So God is preparing a gourmet meal for you. And you're like, I love food in the trash. It tastes so good. I'm going to go and play out in the world. You've got to understand what Father is offering and what He is giving. Do you see what the people have done? They've rejected their God. They gave their God the bird and said, we don't want to have anything to do with you. We're out of here. We do that in our lives all the time. But look what you're giving up and look what you're getting. Remember that. 
Don't turn from the Lord. Anytime you turn and choose to sin, you know what you're doing? You're eating in the trash. You're eating where you should never be. When God is saying, I want to give you filet mignon the rest of your days. Ice cream and cake with every single meal. Sprinkles on top. Rainbow kind. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Love rainbow kind. Chocolate kind's lame, man. Forget about that. Anything but rainbow, get it out of here. Love rainbow kind. Oh, Father, don't let us go there. You know, family, don't go there, please. I have a couple buddies who are really close to me who are doing that. You know that? Breaks my heart. I'm like, dude, get out of the mud, man. Stop eating that junk. I want to take you into the palace. We'll eat the greatest food together. We'll have more fun than you can even imagine. Stop, please. Why are you settling for that? Breaks my heart. The guilt of the people, verse 6, is greater than that of Sodom. Where utter disaster struck in a moment with no one to help them. Our princes were once glowing with health. They were as clean as snow and as elegant as jewels. But now their faces are blacker than sooth. No one even recognizes them. Their, sin, their skin sticks to their bones. It is as dry and hard as wood. Because they got no food. Those killed by the sword are far better off than those who die of hunger, wasting away for want of food. Tender-hearted women have cooked their own children and eaten them in order to survive the siege. That's sick. That's what happens. Listen to me. That's what happens when you walk in the world, when you walk and run to sin. That's what you end up doing. You end up doing wicked things that don't even make sense. You could eat your own children. It's the most wicked thing. But you know when you go out there to the party and you get drunk, you do things you think you would never do. You end up experiencing things. I remember when I started smoking weed. I remember it. I remember looking into my friend's eyes as I was ditch class to go, I would ditch French class, second period, to go and smoke weed. And I remember looking at my friends in the eyes thinking to myself, you guys are losers. And I do not want to be this. And I, I told myself I would never do this. And I'm not going to be a loser anymore. That was it. I couldn't believe where I had gone. That's what happens. You do crazy things. You end up becoming what you wish you would never become when you do not follow the ways of the Lord. But, verse 10, now the Lord, the anger of the Lord is satisfied. His fiercest anger has been poured out. He stared at a fire in Jerusalem that burned the city to its foundations. Not a king in all the earth, no one in all the world would have believed an enemy could march through the gates of Jerusalem. Yet it happened because of the sins of her prophets and priests who defiled the city by shedding innocent blood. They wandered blindly through the streets, so defiled by blood that no one dared to touch them. Get away, the people shouted at them. You are defiled, don't touch us. So they fled to distant lands and wandered there among foreign nations, but none would let them stay. The Lord himself had scattered them. And he no longer helps them. The priests and the leaders no longer 
honored and respected. We looked in vain from our allies to come and save us, but we were looking to nations that could offer no help at all. We couldn't go into the streets without danger to our lives. Our end was near. Our days were numbered. We were doomed. Our enemies were swifter than eagles. If we fled to the mountains, they found us. If we hid in the wilderness, they were waiting for us there. Our king is the Lord's anointed. The very life of our nation was caught in their snares. We had foolishly boasted that under his protection, we could, we could hold our own against any nation on the earth. Are you rejoicing in the land of us, O people of Edom? But you, too, must drink from the cup of the Lord's anger. You, too, will be stripped naked in your drunkenness. O Jerusalem, your punishment will end. You will soon return from your exile. But Edom, your punishment is just beginning. Soon many sins will be revealed. There are many pastors falling in this day, and it is the saddest thing in the world. Please stay with me. I know this is long. Do not, do not allow your flesh to tell you that you cannot take it anymore. Please. Do not let a 30-minute TV show or an hour TV show determine how much you can pay attention and how much you can watch. You stay in control of yourself and say, I know flesh you don't desire anymore, but the soul will be blessed. Take in the scriptures. Let them minister to you. We were primped and groomed. We could listen to three hours in the desert when I was in Mexico. Three hours of sermon. It'd blow by and we'd say, I can't believe that just happened. We've got to get back to that. No more 30-minute sermonettes. We've got to take in the word. You only get it once or twice a week. And you get television every single night, hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. Train yourself to take in more. This is what I do. When I'm in a sermon, it doesn't matter if I'm tired or I didn't sleep the night before. If I'm sitting in a sermon and I can't pay attention, then I'll sit up straight. I'll get my eyes focused. I will constantly stay moving. and fo- I mean, I will keep telling myself, you're going to listen. If I need to stand up, I'm going to go stand up. Whatever it takes, I, I force myself. I don't allow my mind to tell me how much it's going to take in. I say, you're going to listen to me. I take in sermon after sermon after sermon as best I can. I don't want to miss out on the opportunity of being ministered to and being blessed. Listen to these last 20 verses. It is a prayer for restoration. Lord, Remember everything that has happened to us. See all the sorrows we bear. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We are orphaned and fatherless. Our mothers are widowed. We have to pay for water to drink. And even firewood is expensive. Those who persuade us are at our heels. We are exhausted but are given no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough food to survive. It was our ancestors who sinned, but they died before the hand of judgment fell. We have suffered the punishment they deserve. Slaves have now become our masters. There is no one left to rescue us. We must hunt for food in the wilderness at the risk of our lives. Because of famine, our skin has been blackened as though we bake in an oven. Our enemies rape the women and young girls in Jerusalem. And throughout the towns of Judah, our princes are being hanged by their thumbs. And the old men are treated with contempt. The young men are, le- are led away to work at millstones. And the, 
and the children stagger under heavy loads of wood. The men no longer sit in the city gates. The young men no longer dance and sing. The joy of our hearts has ended. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The garlands have fallen from our heads. Disaster has fallen upon us because we have, what? Because we have sinned. Did did you hear that? Disaster has fallen upon us because what? We have sinned. Say it with me. Disaster has fallen upon us because we have what? Sinned. Again, disaster has fallen upon us because we have sinned. Again, disaster has fallen upon us because we have sinned. Again, disaster has fallen upon us because we have sinned. That is why disaster will fall upon this nation. Because we, you and me, you and me, not the heathen, not the world, because you and me, God's people, have sinned. Because Judah has sinned. Because Israel has sinned. Because the priests and the pastors and the churches have sinned. That is why disaster will come. Recognize that. Know that. Our hearts are sick and weary, verse 17, and our eyes grow dim with tears. For Jerusalem is empty and desolate, a place haunted by jackals. But Lord, verse 19, you remain the same forever. Your throne continues from generation to generation. Why do you continue to forget us? Why have you forsaken us so long? Restore us, O Lord. Bring us back to you again. Give us back to the joys we once had. Or have you utterly rejected us? Are you angry with us still? What a prayer, huh? Praise God for you guys. Want to know why? Because we just read through a whole book. You see, when you set your mind to it, you can conquer. You can accomplish much. It's not a bummer that we read through the whole book. If I told you when we started we were going to read through the whole book, you would have been bummed. Yep. It's like the woman, when you tell her she's going to have a baby, it's going to be a lot of pain. She gets bummed. But the moment that she holds that baby in her hands, she doesn't care. It's nothing to her. The joy is incredible. And so too is the word of the Lord for us. Hey, when you allow the word of God to go in you and you receive it, you decide to walk in it, there will be great joy in the house of the Lord. There will be great joy in this place even tonight because we conquered that book. And we got to see the full counsel of God. Isn't that great? I was about to teach one chapter and we would never go back to that book ever again. It'd be another three years or four years before I got back to that book. We got to see the whole thing. Aren't you happy? You know the book of Lamentations. You never even knew it. There was a book called that before you came here. But now you know the whole book. And you could teach it yourself if needed. You know what it's about. That is the fruit in being disciplined and studying the word of God. Hey, I love you guys. And I truly want the best for you all your days. You will be destroyed if you sin. Run from sin. Hate it with all of your heart. Do not give in. Fight till the day that you die. 
as I was telling my friend in the car the other day, I can't wait when I walk into those gates of heaven and I say, I am free from sin. I will never even think about it ever again for the rest of my life. Isn't that awesome? But check this. We get to fight sin only now. You will never get a chance to fight it for the rest of your entire eternity. Once you go to heaven, you never get another chance to fight sin. Never. You never get a chance to be faithful to God. You never get a chance to stand for what is right. You never get a chance again to bless your God. So take it as an opportunity, not as a bummer. You say, I will stand for righteousness all the days of my life, and I will never, never turn from the Lord my God till the day that I die. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this people. Look at them, Lord. They're students of your word, trying to take in as best they can. Proud of them, Lord. No, you are too. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to develop a love for your word and a love for what is right, a love for your judgments and commands, a love for your statutes and your law. Teach us your ways that we may walk with you, Father. Oh, Lord, do not let this people turn from your face. God, I pray for restoration in this room tonight. For those who have come who are not walking in your ways, but know they need to repent to you with all of their heart, I pray that they would bow their hearts to you in this moment and repent of their lifestyle. To walk in newness of life from this moment on. Not playing in the mud anymore, not settling for food in the trash, but walking in the newness, not giving in to slavery and being locked down to sin. Please, God, deliver this people. And let us walk in righteousness and raise families that walk in righteousness and love your commands. Teach us, O Lord. We give you our lives tonight. We give them to you. If that's you, just give your life to the Lord. Say, Lord, I give my life to you. I give you all of me. Take my life. Let it be. Everything you need, everything you want to glorify your kingdom. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.